it's huge. I mean, <clears throat> because we, what is our experience with people is it changes. Mm-hmm. People's attitude changes. People's perspective on us change. People don't fulfill their promises or they turn on them and they go in a different direction. That is not the nature of our God. Welcome back to the No Greater Joy podcast brought to you by the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church because we want for our people what Jesus wants for his people, and that's to no greater joy. And uh, we find that no greater joy by stepping into the areas that bring no greater joy for God's people, what we call being a 24-7 worshiper, a go-person, and an alongsider. My name is Pastor Steve Strong, lead pastor here at Grace, my sidekick across the table. Ryan Atkins, I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And once again, huge thanks to our tech genius, Dan Kraniak, member here at Grace, producing this podcast. Yep, all the applause. You don't the crowd hear goes wild. It's, they are going wild. All right, so we are in episode 31, and we are continuing our talk on theology proper, basically the study of who is God, study of him. And uh, the previous episode, we answered the question, how does God exist? And so we want to answer the question this episode, oh no, excuse me, the previous episode is, does he exist? Excuse me. Yes. And this episode is, how does he exist? And uh, what is his nature, his essence, some of his fundamental qualities about him? And uh, again, we just want to, before we jump into them, I think, Ryan, it's important just to keep in front of us why this is important. Why are we taking the time to do this? And it just goes back to really how we introduced last time. Mm -hmm. There's no greater pursuit. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no greater uh, knowledge that a person, especially God's people, can have than knowing their God um, and I think it's really, quite honestly, who God is and how he is impacts every area of our life. Mm-hmm. And it shapes everything that we do. And so an inaccurate or insufficient understanding of who he is leads us astray. Absolutely. From his his goal and purpose. And it also, well, what does it mean to be in the image of God? If we are his image bearers representing him, uh, it, uh, good word, once again, behooves us mm. to understand who it is that we are representing. Uh, I think something else we wanted to at least put out before us as we start working through some of these fundamental qualities of how God exists is we're going to start talking about areas that kind of highlight two senses in that God is both transcendent as well as imminent. Transcendent in the sense that he is above and beyond and totally other. Like, Mm-hmm. We cannot, he cannot be contained. I think you had mentioned and highlighted the last episode that knowing God 
comprehensively is impossible yep. for us as as finite creatures. Although he is, we can sufficiently know him, but we mm-hmm. can't comprehensively know him, and so he is transcendent in the sense that he cannot be contained. And I think um, that's important for us because he is not just a whole bunch of qualities, and our God is can't be put in in a box so to say mm-hmm. he just blows every box apart and so <laughs> uh but not only is he transcendent he is also very imminent in the sense that he is very near he is involved and so as we start working through these qualities we need to keep those in mind and kind of keep that on the bulletin board of our minds that he is both just completely other and beyond totally incomprehensible or just not comprehensively able to be known, but sufficiently known, but he is also very near. Mm -hmm. So he's not in his transcendence. He's not distant or uninvolved or uncaring. Yes. Um, And so I think those things are important Mm -hmm. for us just to keep in front of our mind. And so when we think about how God exists, um, what is his fundamental nature? The first quality, the first um, part of his nature and how it is he's, first of all, he's living. And mm-hmm. I think um, we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, I, I want to first direct our attention just to how Paul, when he's writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, when he talks about salvation, you know, when a person accepts Christ, they are turning to, it doesn't say God, to the living God. And um, and Jesus describes his life and the fact that he is living in John chapter 5, verse 26, that he is living, his life is in himself. Uh, the Father's life is in himself, and so Jesus, his life is in himself in the sense that God is living and his life is, is independent from anything else. Um, it is it's his nature to be alive, and so he can't not live. Um, he's the living God, and he's the life giver. It's different for us as as human beings in the image of God. We are alive, but our life is not in ourselves. We're not mm-hmm. sufficiently alive. Our life is dependent life, so we depend on air, food, we depend upon parents. Like, you take certain things away and we cease to live. Mm -hmm. Nothing can be taken away from God so that he would cease to live. So he is, it is just a part of his nature, he is living. One of the I think one of the great passages of Scripture that highlight that is in Jeremiah chapter 10. And I do, I know we want to kind of quickly move through these, but Jeremiah highlights a living God by contrasting him with idols. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 10, he just says, Jeremiah the prophet is writing to Israel who is 
really kind of abandoning God for idols. He just says, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples, they're vain, they're vanity. A tree from the forest, this is what they do. The tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate that piece of wood with silver and gold. They fasten it together with hammer and nails so that it can't move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They can't speak. They have to be carried because they can't walk. He's like, don't be afraid of them, for they can't do evil, neither it is in them to do good. But then Jeremiah says, but there's none like you, O Yahweh, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood, beaten silver. Um, They're the work of skilled men. But verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting or ever-living king. At his wrath, the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. The grand difference between Israel's God and all of the nations around them is that their God is living. Mm-hmm. Every other God has been formed by a human craftsman. <laughs> and, of course, that the great highlight of that is on Mount Carmel because mm-hmm. uh, he is the God who responds. So... So he's a living God. He doesn't need us. He lives in and of himself, and he created us to have life. So he is, first of all, part of his nature is he's living. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, another kind of aspect of his nature is that he is spirit. Yep. Uh, and so when we think of God, um, we need to recognize he has no physical form. He is not material, but exists as spirit. Uh, we can't perceive him by our physical senses, his uh, immensity, um, it, he's not limited or localized, as, as Steve was talking about earlier. Um, but he does he does use anthropomorphic descriptions of himself yep. so that we can relate to him and understand him. And so, you know, when it says he hears or the ear of the Lord or whatever it may be, it's not that he has a head with ears on it like we do. Yep. But he's using these descriptions to allow us to better understand who he is and how to relate to him. Yep. And so uh, a couple of key passages that came to mind uh, in John 4, um, you have Jesus instructing and saying that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Um, Deuteronomy 4, the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice back in John in chapter one. Uh, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So we, the bodily form of God that we see is Jesus Christ in his incarnation, uh, but that is not all who of who God is. Uh, he's the imprint of his nature, but not um, God himself, the Father, is not limited uh, in a bodily form. And I, I think I'm glad you brought out, you know, Scripture, God does reveal himself as, mm-hmm. like, I have an ear, or I'm hearing. And I think it's not because, like you said, he has a physical ear, mm-hmm. but it does display and illustrate that he is a hearing God, or he's a seeing God. He's understanding, he's thinking, mm-hmm. doesn't have a brain, but he does have a mind, he's thinking. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you also brought out the fact that he has a spirit, he's not limited to space. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he's not limited in his presence. Um, and it's also why he commands his people, don't make an image of me, mm-hmm. because that reduces me. He also, and Jesus, when he's talking to the the Samar- or the the uh, the woman at the well, <clears throat> you know, you worship me. We, she was caught up in places, but because God is spirit, mm-hmm. don't limit him to a location. Don't limit him to an ability. He is spirit, all places, all time. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. I think also the next one is, yes, he is living. How does God exist? Well, he's living. He's spirit. And what's interesting is you could take, oh, he's a living spirit, and that could be sufficient for many other religions, especially mm-hmm. Eastern religions in this world, whether it's Hinduism, uh, the New Age, or Deism. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this third one is super important, not only is he living in spirit, he is personal. Um, so he, uh, in one sense, he's he's a person. So he's not impersonal in the sense that um, there's not a desire for relationship. So like a lot of the Eastern religions or the Star Wars mm-hmm. force, you know, that is impersonal. Um, God has revealed himself to be not this uninterested, impersonal force that is living in spirit and immaterial, but he's personal. And I, we see this all through Scripture. We saw it beginning in the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. you know, with Adam and Eve. They were walking. It was with him. And so there's a relationship. And what do we see after they sin? He provides means to continue that relationship. He's a God who makes promises with people. He's a God who makes covenant with people, makes covenants with people. Why? Because he's personal. Mm-hmm. God enjoys personal relationships. We see it in the Trinity. We'll talk about the Trinity in a future episode. Between the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a relationship that's there. There's personableness that's there. And and what has he done with Scripture? Why? He's revealed himself. Why? Because the whole heart of this is, I want you to know me. And when he brings his people, he chose Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. He brings them out of Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 19, he says, I brought you to myself so that you could be a treasured possession for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and even all the names of God. He's like, I'm giving you my name. Names are attached to a a person. Um but even – I love what Jesus says, even to take this maybe one step further for us, is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, where he, he's like, don't be anxious, huh. don't worry. I provide the needs for the birds of the air all around you and for the, the lilies of the field, etc. Aren't you of more value? Like – not just intrinsic value, but to him. Mm-hmm. His people have value to him. Don't be anxious. If I care for them, I'm going to care for you. So you have a God <clears throat> who is a living, who is living. He is spirit, but he is also personal, mm-hmm. where he desires personal relationship. 
you know, David recognized it, Psalm 139. Like, where can I go from your presence? Mm-hmm. Where, like, I cannot escape your presence because you're personal. Um, and I, I think there's huge implications for that. We have a tendency, I mean, we know how we feel in relationships where it feels one-sided mm-hmm. and it's on, the only interaction is when I need something. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it that we feel that way? It's because God has made us personal in his image. God is not, he hasn't created us and started a relationship for him to be some kind of cosmic vending machine in terms of (laughs) I need, I need, I need. No, he's Mm -hmm. saying relate with me. Mm -hmm. And so that really impacts our time with him, et cetera. So he's he's personal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next, after his... Just being personal, we have to realize that he is immutable. Um, so he is unchanging in his being. He is unchanging in his perfections. He is unchanging in his purposes. He is unchanging in his promises. He is unchanging. And I think this one is, for me, I think it's a difficult one to wrap your mind around um, because we are always changing. We change physically. We change our thinking. We change emotionally, moment to moment. Uh, week to week, year to year, it, we are always in a process of change, yet God is unchanging. And so um, to know that about him gives us confidence in our salvation and our worship of him. Because he's unchanging, we can know him well enough to praise him and pursue him. And we don't have to worry about whether he's going to change his mind regarding the requirements for salvation being in Christ alone. Yep. Um, it gives us that confidence. And so you think Malachi 3, where he's, the prophet writes, for I, the Lord, do not change, or is revealed through the prophet. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you children of Jacob are not consumed. James 1, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. <clears throat> Psalm 102, of old you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. And I think that's, as I was thinking about this aspect of God's nature, this is what allowed Thomas Chisholm to write. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not as thou hast been thou forever will be. And great is thy faithfulness. Like that hymn is talking about God's immutability, his unchanging nature, and that's the confidence that we can have to pursue a relationship with him because he does not change. That's right. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, <clears throat> because we, what is our experience with people is it changes. Mm-hmm. People's attitude changes, people's perspective on us change, people don't fulfill their promises or or they turn on them and they go in a different direction. That is not the nature of our God. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to, in relation to him being immutable, we do read in scripture. It's not, we don't have the time to really go into a lot of these Mm -hmm. things, but we do see God. We do see the language. And if it's, if we believe the word of God to be inspired, God is revealing himself and we see certain things while he's changing his mind. He's, maybe repenting or relenting as if maybe God is being forced to change something against his will. 
Um, but in each of those, you know, you could see that in Jonah chapter 1, Exodus chapter 13. In each of those where it seems like God is changing, he's not changing in the sense that something about his character is changing or his plan is changing. His plan, and we'll talk about this in another episode, his plan teaser has, you know, or conditions upon it. So, for instance, you know, he was going to punish Nineveh, but he put a condition that punishment is contingent upon your repentance. Mm-hmm. They repented, and so he relented his punishment, so to say. And so when we see God changing his mind, repenting, a sense of regretting or relenting on certain things, it's because he has factored in in his plan a condition that is being met or not met. So um, so he's a living God. He's a spirit being, but he is personable and he is unchanging. Uh, the next one that we want to talk about is he's holy. Um, holiness is not a new word. Everybody is familiar with this. We sing it. We use it. Um, I want to describe his holiness in the sense that he is unique and distinct from all of creation. Uh, Isaiah writes it in chapter 6, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of your glory. Um, He's completely above and beyond. And so that also translates into his the way we typically think about his holiness is moral purity. And so the, I, I say that he's unique and distinct and set apart. There are things that are true of him only that are not transferable to mankind. And that includes moral purity, a complete separateness from sin. To kind of play on words, he is holy other, W-H-O-L-Y, and holy, W-H-O-L-Y, pure. Um so Exodus chapter 15, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? <clears throat> but then Habakkuk the prophet, also this holy, pure in the sense that, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, <clears throat> have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Um, so there we see a sense of, of his holiness and purity and separateness from sin. So he is, so he's holy. So in his essence and who he is and how he exists, he's spirit, he's living, personal, immutable, holy. And then one more. Yep, he is eternal. Yep. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my voice there for a second. Loosen it up, man. He is eternal. There it is. And so, uh, again, this is one, because of our finiteness, it's hard to wrap your mind around that God has no beginning, he has no end, and there are no succession of moments in his own being. He always, you know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Like, he was there at the beginning. He was there before the beginning. He was there beyond the, like, he will be beyond, like, he is everlasting. He is the everlasting God, as Isaiah 40 tells us. Um, Revelation 1, where it is revealed to John that, you know, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
again, hard to wrap our minds around because we live moment by moment. Uh, and we're so limited to that understanding of time um, that yet God exists eternity past, eternity future, who was and is and will always be. Like he sees everything in eternity now. You know, he has a few, the, the um, illustration I, I really appreciate is he has a view of the whole parade. Yep. Whereas we're just the little kids sitting on the curb and all we can see is the float that's right in front of us. Um, and, and then we he's, see the order of the things correct. that keep coming down. And we can see the history of what's already passed in the parade and we can hope for the future of what's going to come in the parade, but he sees the entirety of the parade. Um, he's up in the blimp, so to say. He is. He is. Yep. He's, he's running the TV commentary for us. <laughs> um, and so just you have just this eternal aspect of his nature that should just blow our minds in a way. Yeah. Yeah. When we think about eternity, you know, we'll, we use the words like everlasting. Um, I think when we try to wrap our minds around God being eternal, like you said, we, we live, our existence is on a timeline. Mm -hmm. That timeline has a definite beginning and it, it moves in increments in one direction. Mm -hmm. um, when we say God is eternal, it doesn't mean that God lives on a timeline with like the arrows on either end of the time where it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. um, he exists above the timeline. <laughs> so his existence is not bound by time. And, and this is important because there are some... <clears throat> theologies that want to suggest that God operates in time. And so because if he's limited, we're limited to time. So in all reality, the future doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So if God is all knowing, can he know something that doesn't exist? But because he's outside of time, he sees the entire perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, so he's eternal in that sense. He's only experiences a present sense. Um, and, and so it's, it is hard to wrap our minds around, but it is important. And it really highlights the transcendence mm -hmm. of what we talked about earlier. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to, to add to that. I think that's, I think that's probably good mm -hmm. for us for right now in the sense that he is eternal. Um, well, it also does well, – I think we see it highlighted in Scripture. I, just, I go back on what I just said. <laughs> we see it in Psalm chapter 90, <clears throat> Psalm 90, verse 4, a thousand years is as a single watch in the night. Mm -hmm. And then Second Peter 3, 8, a thousand, day, a thousand years is as one day, and one day is as a thousand years. And so, like, that is God's perspective on history and in time, and that should be a huge source of strength um, and really some of the implications to that is, and I, I think in second Peter, when he's talking about our suffering and that context of a thousand years is as one day and one day is a thousand years is that there's hope for us in suffering mm -hmm. because God is not slow. Mm -hmm. He's not lagging behind his time is different than our time. And so I can rest rest in that mm -hmm. so 
So we come back to that this idea. He's a living God. He's spirit. He's personal. He's immutable. He's holy. He's eternal. All of this is super important for us because, as I said as we began this, who he is and how he is shapes everything. Um, how we understand him, how we approach him, how we understand our world, our, our own lives, the way something is made up changes how we interact with it. Illustration, you know, if you do any kind of plumbing in your home, and I'm not a plumber nor the son of a plumber, um, but the plumbing that I have done, um, the material that you're working with changes how you work with it mm-hmm. and what you do. For instance, when you're joining two pieces of copper and a coupling, how you join them depends upon the material, the, mm-hmm. the fact that they're copper. So you flux and use heat. But if you're using PVC, you have the primer and you have the cement and you know you, you put them together and they bec- and it changes. Mm-hmm. Like if you tried to use the heat and the flux on PVC, all you do is melt your PVC. <laughs> Make a mess. That's right. You try to use the, <laughs> the, the primer and the PVC cement on copper and it just all falls apart and it doesn't bond. And so who he is and how he is, God, impacts how we approach him. And all of these should well up in us an immense sense of just awe and worship. We go through these things. And again, as I think we said to this in the first episode, we don't want this to be textbook. Mm-hmm. You know, on some level, we're sitting in a classroom and presenting the the material. But the aim is for our people to not just, okay, sit in the classroom, hear the material that we're giving to them. And and really, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we got books <laughs> on our shelves all, you know, written about one, each upon one volumes. of these. But it's to propel all of our people to consider this and then to live in light, to experience experience and draw and rest upon who he is and how he is. And so how he is makes a, a huge difference, a huge difference, and should well in us, I hope, a sense of awe mm-hmm. and worship. And I think that's captured in Romans chapter 11, and I think we'll finish with this. Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom I like those two descriptions. In some way, we're talking about the wisdom of God, how he is, but it's the riches of who Mm -hmm. he is. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Of course, nobody has. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 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 God bless. We'll talk at you next time.